This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's June 26th, 1974, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. You probably think linear Morse code hasn't affected your life very much, but you'd be wrong (laughs) because it's the technology that underpins barcodes, 10 billion of which are now scanned every day, including whenever you buy groceries or check into a hospital or order something from a warehouse. And the first ever barcode was scanned today in history in 1974 in a Marsh supermarket in Troy, Ohio. Yeah, and it was used to read the price of a packet of juicy fruit gum, which at the time cost 67 cents. I mean, it was an arranged moment. The buyer was actually Clyde Dawson, head of research and development for Marsh Supermarket. But <laughs> the cashier was a real cashier, 31-year-old Sharon Buchanan, who recalled in 2009, I was a little bit nervous at the time. I mean, what if this doesn't work? Everybody was there taking pictures, the photographers, the local press, people from around town. But it worked just fine. It was quite my 15 minutes of fame, I suppose. (laughs) Well, the other reason that they had juicy fruit chewing gum as the first item that was being scanned was because Wrigley had successfully resolved an issue which was trying to make the universal product code that we're now familiar with small enough to go on something as tiny as a packet of chewing gum. And so that's why they were sort of rewarded with this moment in, well, is it American history? I suppose it is insofar as it's a sort of great moment of capitalism. Well, the packet of gum is now on display at the Smithsonian. So, yes, I think it is a moment of American history. (laughs) But let's just go back as to uh, why it took so long. Because um, the idea for barcodes came about in 1948. And this is actually a fun story. (laughs) Mm. Joseph Woodland was this kind of engineering guy um, who was known to be a bit of a brain. And a local businessman associate of his had said he wanted to find a way to get customers through his checkout faster in his retail empire. And so he went away and tried to brainstorm how he could do this. And actually in the sand on a beach in Miami, sketched out like with a stick, the initial idea for three or four furrows in the sand of different lengths, wide lines and narrow lines instead of dots and dashes. So Morse code that could be read by a computer that you could append to everything. That was the idea, and that was the idea in 1948. The problem was the computer that could read it didn't exist yet. (laughs) Yeah, Joseph Woodland had been working on this with Bernard Silver. The two of them were graduate students at Drexel University in Philadelphia. And Woodland actually dropped out to work on this more. This is why he ended up on a beach in Miami. He was staying at his grandfather's apartment, you know, having quit school to concentrate on this project. And he says that he was inspired by the Morse code that he had learned in his scouting days. And then he leaned forward and dragged each one of them downwards to create these thick and thin lines. And he then, imagine that we're watching the movie we're like ah the barcode he then did the one adjustment too many from our standpoint (laughs) where he swirls them round into a circular bullseye pattern because he thought that this would be easier to scan 
And to read the barcode, they used a photomultiplier tube, which is a device which transforms light into electrical pulses. So basically, they shone a very bright bulb through the barcode paper, and the tube mm. on the other side detects the light that passes through the pattern and creates the corresponding electrical signal. The issue was just that the technology wasn't there to put this in every store. Yeah, and also the ambient light that this thing kicked out was incredibly intense. It would damage your eyes if you looked at it, and it generated an enormous amount of heat. So it really wasn't very practical, the prototype that they'd created. But they knew that they were onto something and patented the idea. But the next step was trying to resolve the many steps that were required to actually get a device that was going to be small enough to fit into a supermarket or the other places that it could have applications, but also then all of the technologies that we now take for granted when we go to a checkout. Yeah, I mean, look, we we know their names, right? We've given them credit for having invented this, so it wasn't completely squandered. But I think this is the first time in Retrospectors history where we've done an episode of this show where the guy who got the patent doesn't get to really see any financial compensation for their invention because it took so long... Even though they were recognised as being the people that had come up with this, it took so long to develop the relevant technology that the patent had expired by the time that laser beams had been invented and microchips. Yeah, I mean, the two of them, Woodland and Silver patented the idea in 1949 but in 1962 you know it it still hadn't really taken off they sold it to an electronics manufacturer called Philco for $15,000 I mean Silver died he died young age 38 of complications from leukemia in 1963 before the technology took off but which from obviously was very sad but from another perspective you know he died thinking $15,000 was a really good return on this invention yes on inventing barcodes (laughs) which are seen globally apparently more than Google every day wow So the black stripes of varying thickness and the 12-digit number that could be read by a scanner, that final innovation was um, cemented by the IBM engineer George Lauer. Why IBM? Because by then that's where Woodland worked, although he'd been working there since 1951. It wasn't until 1971 that IBM were like, oh yeah, we employ this guy who had this idea, we should use him. (laughs) So what it was is IBM had seen a demo by RCA at a grocery conference of their rival nascent barcode system and then suddenly thought oh yes we should do one of those yeah i mean they'd entered the barcode war pretty late rca and ibm at this point squaring off for the custom of the supermarket system you know the supermarket heads had already got together and agreed that there would need to be one universal product code that everybody used so they they were they were really playing for everything the bullseye barcodes that were being used by RCA. The issue with those was that if there was a printer leak, a smear of ink would make them completely unreadable. That wasn't true for a linear pattern. It would just make them thicker, but they would be thicker by the same amount, if you see what I mean, so they could still be read, whereas a smeared bullseye would be totally unreadable. So... On the 3rd of April 1973, the IBM Universal Product Code was selected as the standard. And the reason you needed this Universal Product Code was that everyone had seen the benefits of what a system like this would offer. But, you know, in the rush to get involved in the whole barcode business, stores and libraries and factories and so on had all developed their own proprietary codes. And what you actually needed was barcodes on any product that could be read and understood in every suitably equipped store across the 
country and across the entire world as we've got now. But there was this recognition that it was going to involve huge expense. I suppose like the sort of rolling out of electric vehicles today, you can't just sort of put an electric vehicle on the market. You have to have all of the underpinnings of technology that goes alongside that so that you can actually fuel your car when you go places. And so it was with uh, with barcodes, which needed all of this equipment. They needed the agreement of all of the different stores and suppliers to get on board as well. And so there were so many steps before, even from this stage, it was properly rolled out. Right. I mean, the retailers didn't want to install the scanners until the manufacturers had put barcodes on their products. But the manufacturers didn't want to put barcodes on their products until the retailers had installed enough scanners. (laughs) And IBM was supplying all of the technology, so monetizing it anyway that it happened from their point of view. But if you think of yourself as one of those manufacturers, some of that packaging had existed for nearly a century. You know, think about products like Tabasco Mm. or Lyle's Golden Syrup. You know, you're playing with an icon to shove the graphic design around to make room for the barcode. Miller Brewing Company at the time was still printing labels for its bottles in the USA on a printing press from 1908. Well, that probably explains why it was so slow to take off. You know, by the late 60s, lasers and computer processing made the idea more viable. But even so, by 1977, fewer than 200 stores had scanning machines installed. And ultimately, what accelerated the uptake was just the results, the results from the handful of locations who were using it. You know, it indicated that there was a tangible and significant rise they in profits. They sold so those... much more juicy fruit. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, there was the increase in sales, you know, estimated to be 10 to 12 because then you're stocking more of the popular items because you know what they are, but also a small decrease in operating costs because you're stocking fewer of the unpopular items. It enabled the expansion of the larger retailers. Without barcode technology, we wouldn't have customer loyalty cards, Mm. for example. But it didn't necessarily benefit smaller, family-run, independent stores. You know, if you've only got 10 bottles of ketchup, it's not that big a deal to print off 10 new price tags and reduce the price. Yeah. Whereas if you're Tesco and you have to do that nationally... Barcodes allow you to just print off one price that goes on the shelf, but you don't have to tag each item because when it gets scanned, it gets scanned at the new price, at the touch of a button. Yeah. It's really beneficial to places that have a kind of marginal profit on a massive amount of stock coming through their gates. You know, it's very, very difficult for enormous supermarkets, the Walmarts and the Sainsbury's and so on, to account for everything that they have coming through and also what's been bought and what hasn't and so on. You have to do these massive efforts in stock taking, whereas smaller organisations are doing much less sales for probably greater amounts of profit on individual items. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's really designed for enormous business. And it turns out that's the way the future was going. Did you Have you guys heard that popular myth, by the way, that all barcodes have the number 666 in them? <laughs> I no, haven't. I don't think I'm in the same Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so <laughs> that belief came about because the number six is represented by a pattern that's similar to the guard bars that are used to mark the beginning, middle and the end of every code. And so this idea took off, particularly in the sort of um, conspiracy theory world, that that was a thing that was like the mark of the devil and this mass consumerism was leading us towards this terrible future. But as Laura, who helped invent the UPC barcode said on his website, there's nothing sinister about this, nor does it have anything to do with the Bible's mark of the beast. It's simply coincidence, like the fact that my first, middle and last names all have six letters, which I can only imagine opened up yet more diabolical cans of worms for conspiracy theorists. (laughs) Tomorrow the two of them, I guess because there had been a certain amount of livestock killing and barn burning. 
Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.